This week on Heads and Tails, we talk about concussions in the sport of surfing with Harley Tesh. This is Kevin Som, and you're listening to the Heads and Tails podcast. We share stories of perseverance and inspiration in sports and in life. Welcome back to the Heads and Tails podcast. I'm excited to have Harley Tesh on today about her experience with a severe case of post-concussion syndrome and how she overcame depression along the way. Harley was a member of the USA surfing team as a 15-year-old back in 2011 until a concussion ended her competitive surfing career. And she uh, recently authored a concussion book for children called Heads Up, The Story of Finn and Reef. Uh, The book educates children about concussions, healing, and most importantly about acceptance, which is something that she struggled with during her recovery. Her compelling story has also been featured in Seventeen Magazine, and I know it will also resonate with our listeners here. Uh, Before we start riding the waves of Harley's story, uh, make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and Stitcher, and you can also stay up to date on all upcoming interviews by following us on Instagram at Heads and Tails. Heads is in multiple heads, the letter N, and then Tails spelled T-A-L-E-S. Same thing goes on Twitter at a P-O-D on the end of the handle, and also like us on Facebook. So now that we've taken care of that, Harley, can you start to talk about how you got into the sport of surfing and, um, you know, what, what's really sparked your love for the sport? Uh, yes. Hi, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, my dad bought, it all goes back to my dad grew up. Um, we both, I grew up in La Jolla, California and funny story about La Jolla, California. One of the ladies in my study who uh, I, I'm a research associate for sports health at the place, at the hospital I work at. And I was telling her about my interview for the podcast I had later today. I'm like, yeah, I'm interviewing a girl, because she's from California. So I'm like, I'm interviewing a girl from uh, La, La Jolla, California. She's like, no, that's not how you say it. <laughs> the so, Jewel, La Jolla, yeah. So I actually, right by UCSD, um, I grew up going to Blacks. My dad would surf Blacks like every day and, him and my mom got divorced when I was a little girl, so he would have he had part time custody of me, and instead of like getting a babysitter when he surfed, he would just bring me to the beach. So ever since I was like a little girl, he would put me on this sand mound with an umbrella and a little blanket at like eighteen months old. <laughs> oh, okay. People would like check in on me, and at four years old, he bought me like my first wetsuit and surfboard. And at that point, I was like, I can either watch him or I can get out there. And it was pretty boring just sitting on the beach for me because I was so active and I had so much energy growing up. So every weekend, he would take me out and push me into waves. And by the by eight years of age, um, I decided, like, this is what I want to do. Like, I was hooked and there was no looking back from there. And um, I entered my first series of it was called the no fear XL like women's division. And that was the, the start of my contest career. And um, and how old are you when that competition happened? I was eight years old. So you started at eight years old. Wow. So you've been, yeah. you're doing it for a while. Is there a lot of eight year olds that compete or is back it kind of rare? Then, yeah. Back then there was none. I mean, everyone was like 16, 17, 18. It was open women's division. So the youngest at that time was 17. And then I was eight years old. And, um, 
that's when I decided like, oh my gosh, I won my first series, which was like 10 contests. Um, so I won the whole women's division at eight years old and I was competing against like all these older girls. And that's when I was like, wow. Like That's when you good. knew you're going to be pretty good. That's when I knew that's all I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Cool. So was your dad legit at surfing too? Did he just, he show you the ropes or was it just because you started at such an early age that you kind of, or you had like a natural ability to, to surf? What, what do you think it was? I definitely had a natural ability, but I had to work super hard at it. He he would coach me, and it was hard having, like, your dad be your coach because um, it was hard to, like, have him, like, not yell at me, but it was, like, go, go, like, paddle harder and, like. But dad. <laughs> yeah, and so he ended up, we ended up getting, I had a bunch of different coaches growing up. I had, like, these two Australian coaches that would sit on the beach and film and, um, I w worked with them like once or twice a week and my dad would help out as well. Like at contests and stuff. Wow. That's crazy. I didn't know that, that surfers like watch film and stuff. So what kind of stuff do you point out in film of like where you should have done a certain move within the wave or how do you guys like analyze film? Yeah, I guess you could kind of look at a wave as an empty canvas and you want to like for competitions, you want to get your best like scoring potential on that wave. So that's by doing um, turns and maneuvers. And so my coaches would work with me on like my legs, my arms, like where to hold them properly on the right turns. I mean, um, just like the most minor, smallest, littlest things make made the biggest difference. Like paddling into a wave, like a bigger wave, and just blowing out allowed you to like make the drop and what um, does blowing out mean it, blowing it, out like when you take a deep breath in your body gets super tense and stiff so okay you're dropping off on a dropping uh, like relaxing as you go in yeah and you're all stiff you're more likely to fall all right as if, like you're paddling in you blow out gotcha your body's more relaxed so it was like simple techniques like that that got you to like that next level wow that's cool like yeah that, that's how it is with any sport i guess you kind of learn the the tricks of the trade to to become an elite level you know athlete at whatever you're doing uh, so that kind of takes me to my next question what kind of accolades did you get throughout your career and what were your goals and what are your goals now in the sport um so my goals growing up were um i always since i was like eight years old my goal was to get on the USA team and that's kind of when you're on the USA team you get to go compete in this thing called the ISA games it's like the Olympics for surfing so there's a bunch of different countries Japan China El Salvador um, so all these countries get together in one location and it's where you get to see like who the up-and-comers are and you get to like if you do well there like you have it, you kind of make a name for yourself and okay that just means you have a higher potential of getting on the world women's world tour is the isa usually in the same place every year or is it like a different location like the super bowl yeah it's a different location every year whether it's france tahiti um el salvador costa rica it's, every year there's a different location which is super cool so you've so been you, you're pretty well traveled what, what's like the favorite what's the favorite place of yours that you've uh, surfed at my favorite place is Tahiti. What about it? There's something so magical about Tahiti. I was actually there a month before my accident. 
and um, I've been to Tahiti five times. And everywhere else, I've, I've traveled to Australia, Fiji, El Salvador. I've sailed the BVIs, the British Virgin Islands. I've been to Puerto Rico. And everywhere I go, Tahiti, I always just go back to Tahiti. It's just the water's just, like, so clear. The waves are amazing. Everything's so fresh. The air, the food, the water. Cool. Um, That's definitely a place that like I'm going to have to try to go to <laughs> Yeah. someday. Tahiti's just so magical. It's something you have to experience. Cool. One more question before we get into your injury. What country has the best surfers, like, historically? The best surfers usually come out of Hawaii. All right. Just because of the the waves or the lifestyle? What 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 is it about Hawaii that um, makes the best surfers? Um. Hawaii and Australia, the yeah, the waves, the water's warm. Um, the coaches are usually really good. Um, just right. the atmosphere. Everyone just lives in the water. That's all they do, sir. Cool. Yeah, I guess that's how you get good to something. You just constantly do it. Yeah. Um, so what injuries did you sustain throughout your career? I know I saw in one of the articles that was written about you that you had like 12 recorded concussions. Yeah, so um, I never had any serious injuries, like my fins or the rail of my board hitting me. Um, That's how a lot of injuries happen in surfing? Yeah, it's most like your fins or someone else's fins cut you or someone's board hits you or your board hits you. Those are most of the injuries in surfing. Okay. Or you're doing an air and, you know, sprain your ankle or break a foot. But there weren't. I mean, a lot of the big wave surfers were getting concussions, but you didn't really hear about concussions in surfing up until this year. Yeah, I've never really heard of it until I heard your story. Yeah, so I didn't have any serious injuries. I I got really lucky growing up until my um, brain injury in 2011. All right, so can you talk about that day and take us through that exact moment and what that wave was like when you were riding it in and then the ultimate aftermath? Um, yeah, so it was just, I was in Tahiti for a month and I flew into LAX and I went straight back to San Diego to get my wetsuits and then me and my mom drove up to Ventura to this wave called Point Magoo and it's on, um, a Navy base Okay. and it's a super, super good wave. Um, it's like a barrel and a barrel's like a lip that you pull up under and it covers you. I think in your book you said that when you're in the barrel, it's called the greenhouse, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to, I was trying to get up on my, my surfing lingo before the interview. <laughs> <laughs> I have it in my book, heads up. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that, that uh, a little later. Yeah, so it was a really, I just remember it being a really gloomy day and it was super cold and I had surfed, there's, um, there was like three rounds to get through before the final. So I had made it through all three rounds that morning and my final was in the evening. And, um, I was, I paddled out. It wasn't even a big day. It was like no bigger than head high. So like six foot faces. And I basically rode this one wave and I pulled into the barrel and I came out and I did this turn right on the sand and the sand at Point Magoo is super compact, and basically um, all the water sucked out, and the 
It's just sand left? Yeah, the beach is super slope, so I basically projected headfirst into the sand and nothing broke my fall. And I don't really remember too much, but the one thing I remember is like when I came up, I was just, I couldn't stop blowing out sand and it was coming out of my nostrils and it felt like it was never going to stop and I, I could feel it in my brain and I was like puking it up and I kept spitting up sand. It like just never stopped and I, I didn't really know what was going on, so I kind of paddled back out. And one of the girls in the lineup's like, you should probably go in. You don't look too good. But I didn't really know what was happening. So I decided to, like, paddle in. I just felt super weird. Yeah. And um, I guess when I was walking up the rocks, I started to go, my eyeballs rolled backwards. And this paramedic just happened to grab me. And he, like, laid me down. And um, I still didn't know what was going on. And I thought I was having maybe an asthma attack or something. <laughs> you have asthma? Yeah, I do have asthma. Um, so it I felt grew- similar to that? Yeah, I just, I honestly didn't know what was happening. I was super out of it, and I remember them trying to strap me to a bed gurney, and people were coming up and saying she hit her head, she hit her head, and I was super combative, and I guess I was repeating myself and then crying hysterically, and then I just, I was pretty much an emotional wreck and fighting with um, the paramedics, telling them I was fine, and then I tried to get up, and I fell back down and that was um yeah that day was kind of a blur for me i just remember bits and pieces of so do they have paramedics at most of these surfing events no they don't but it just happened to be on base oh okay right because it was at navy base you said right yeah so they happened to have a bunch of um people around that day right because yeah, i always talk about how athletic trainers are huge because an athletic trainer saved my life because i had second impact syndrome and she noticed that i had a brain bleed before i even had a seizure and it just makes me think that there should be some sort of like emergency medical staff you know at you know most surfing events you know you never know what could happen whether it's a concussion or you get sliced by someone else's board or whatever it might be or the guys in the gray suits as you said in your book which are sharks. <laughs> yeah. You know what's funny is because one of the best um, guys on the world tour of surfing, uh, he just had a brain bleed just from the impact of the water alone. Oh, wow. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's what started bringing, really brought attention to concussions and surfing wow. this year. I'll have to link that a story uh, that story up in the show notes for this episode too. Um, all right. So after you had the concussion, did you go to the hospital and like, what was the prognosis after, um, after, you know, that injury? Yeah. So they wanted to take me away in an ambulance and my mom was like, Oh, I'll take her to the hospital. I really didn't want to go. So. And why didn't you want to go? I didn't want to go. Cause I didn't, I didn't find a, a need to, I felt, I didn't feel fine, but I just, I honestly just, I it, was it like trying to be tough? Like it, I know, like in football, a lot. Like a reason why I didn't say I had my initial concussion was because I was trying to be a tough guy. Like I didn't want to go to people saying like, "Oh yeah, I'm not playing because my head hurts me." Is there a similar type of culture in uh, surfing as well? Yes, yes, and no. I personally just didn't. I didn't think my. At that time, I didn't realize how serious my injury was or even what a concussion was. I just had no awareness. I had this fluid coming out of my nose, which ended up being spinal fluid for like two weeks. 
it was just clear food that didn't stop. And it was I like uncontrollable, like it would just come out randomly, or yeah, it just wouldn't stop coming out. It was like what, like water, pretty much. Jeez. And I don't know. I just didn't really. I wasn't the same person. I just like, told my mom, like, we'll go to the doctor tomorrow. I don't want to sit in a hospital all night. Like, I've been traveling. I was on a red eye. That's true, yeah. To, I think I honestly just wanted to go home and be in the comfort of my home. All right. Yeah. So how long did the – did you have, like, symptoms, like, other than the spinal fluid coming out of your nose? Did you have, like, headaches or yeah. was it just really – horrible headache. I had such extreme nausea. I didn't eat that whole – that whole day, all I had was like a, a protein bar, and then I didn't eat the rest of the night. And then I had so I had the nausea and the really bad headache, and then that fluid coming out of my nose. And then the next morning, my mom took me to the doctor, and he's like, "Oh, sounds like you have a concussion." And that day, I like went home and I started trying to do some homework, and I read the same paragraph like eight times. And I was like, what is going on? Like, I had no idea what I was reading. And then my eyeballs started to hurt. And then um, I was super sensitive to light and noise. So you had, like, every symptom known to man for a concussion, basically. Uh, well, it kept getting worse from there. That was just the start of it. And two days later, my dad put me in a hyperbaric chamber. And I ended up passing out. And they said I was the first person to pass out coming out of a hyperbaric chamber, which is 100% oxygen. Wait, so why'd you pass out? Because when you came out into, like, the regular world, it wasn't enough oxygen for you? Yeah, I have no idea. They were, they made me sign a waiver, and they would never see me again. <laughs> They're like, this has never happened. What? Never someone passing out, coming out of this, you're supposed to feel really good. And then that night, all I started getting all these weird symptoms. I couldn't make a fist, and my feet were, like, going out like penguin feet and just, I just had all these weird symptoms and I kind of was my words weren't making sense and I was acting really funny so my dad took me back to the hospital and just to make sure I didn't have like a brain bleed right. and they ended up saying like she has this pretty serious concussion don't do anything for three weeks so I came home and um, started watching movies because I was super bored but then I couldn't watch movies because my head started hurting super bad and then that night I like got up to go to the bathroom and I passed out again so I like hit my head so I was getting like little small concussions every time I was passing out and I ended up getting super bad like vertigo so the room would spin and it got to the point where I had to have like chairs getting me to the bathroom and then I passed out in the shower. Jeez. Um, getting Did they ever figure concussed. out, like, why you were passing out like that? Like, I I've, I know people, a lot of people who have had concussions, and I haven't really heard of people, like, passing out as a symptom. Yeah, I would get super, super dizzy standing up. There was something about laying down where all my symptoms would kind of subside. But as soon as I you stood, stood up, up like, yeah. It's like a blood pressure thing, maybe. And everything, yeah, I would just get super lightheaded. And sometimes I knew when I was going down and could break my fall. Right. And other times I would just get, I'd get so nauseous. Like I had the flu and um, the dizziness would just come out of nowhere. Yeah. Or the heat of the shower. And basically I kept, you know, reconcussing and things would get worse from there. So how long did this all last for? So after two weeks of laying in bed, my dad was like, I need to get you in the ocean. 
I was super depressed already. I and this was, is only at, this is after two weeks. Yeah, only okay. after two weeks. He just was like, "Let's get you in the water." So he paddled. Yeah, something me that out. makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah, just something to make me happy. I ended up paddling out, and the whole ocean was spinning. I was nauseous and I was freaking out. I was like, Dad, you got to get me in. You got to get me in. I don't feel right. Something's wrong. So he paddled me in. I barely could walk. I was so dizzy and I just felt so sick. And So what was going that, through your head at that point in time? I was just like, what is going on? Like, this is... Were you scared or... I was scared. I honestly didn't know what to do. All I knew was rest. Right. And every doctor I went to, it was really confusing because I had one, um, I had my ER doctor tell me three weeks and then I saw a neurologist at Scripps and he was like, go back to surfing, you can go back to school, just live your day, like everything's, you know, normal. Right. And I had, so I had another doctor tell me, stay out of the ocean for a year, don't do anything, do minimal. Those are three very different opinions. Three very different opinions to where I was like, I don't know what to do. Like, I guess I'll self-treat myself. Right. And I was just even, every time I left the doctor, I was more confused. And yeah, so I ended up spending eight, nine straight months in bed. So from that point on, from the day that you went into the ocean with your dad and you had to paddle back in because you were feeling dizzy, it was eight months straight after that that you were kind of yeah. like self-treating yourself so so well, what well, I had to think about a school I was in um, my junior year and I couldn't read I couldn't read at all I had no idea what I was reading I ended up doing a, um, an impact test and I was like second grade level and impact test yeah after the fact which is not yeah. really helpful but yeah but I I don't know I couldn't really hold a conversation with people I had trouble processing words I had trouble speaking and um, I couldn't watch movies I couldn't do anything one of my other specialists I saw told my dad like no tv no computer no phone no technology no reading just rest and so that's pretty much what I did my dad took my computer away I had a flip phone at the time which he'd give me to make a couple phone calls at night but no texting right and yeah, I'd pretty much just listen to music every day and just stared at the far walls that surrounded me. For eight months? Yeah, I, I was so sick, I couldn't even make a bowl of cereal. Like, well, wow, that's crazy. Ever. I know, like, today, they they say, like, at one point in time, yeah, it was, like, the no phone, no TV, no none of that, like, stimulation to make your, your head hurt. But I know today that they don't really use that anymore because it does make people like go crazy when they have like no connection to the world or if they're just so bored like that so i think you're a good spokesperson for for that as well um so at this point in time i know you said that you you were battling depression a lot of it was because you know you weren't going to school you weren't with your friends and because you had an invisible injury people you know might have not believed you so you can kind of take us through your feelings and and what made you upset uh, just for other people who are listening who might have, you know, this, be going through the same thing that you, that you went through? Yeah, so at the time I just turned 16 and already that age is, you know, you already have your insecurities. Right, and, it's tough as it is. 
Yeah, it's tough as is. And I had just made the USH team at that time. I was on the traveling team. So I had. So all you reached goals. your goal that you, you were talking about? Yeah, I reached my goal. And that year I had picked up a major sponsor who was going to pay for me to do the QS tour to get on the Women's World Tour. And I was it was a really exciting year for me. And I um, basically, it felt like time just kept, you know, it was like time was passing while time just stood still for me right and I was laying here and no one ever called to check in on me none of my like fellow USA team members except for maybe one or two emailed me and um I just started feeling really isolated and no one understood what I was going through people would look at me and be like you look fine like go right. surf what's wrong with you so I had the pressure of sponsors the pressure of wanting to go travel and do the ISA games. And Wait, contact. so sponsors were pressuring you too to get it back out in the water? Or? Yeah, like, well, when are you surfing again? What's going on? And I honestly didn't know. People kept asking me, like, when are you going to surf again? But I, I didn't have an answer for anyone. That was like a million-dollar question for me. It was the not knowing that drove me crazy. So I was laying here with all these symptoms, migraines, nausea, dizziness, fatigue. And then on top of that, of feeling sick all day, I was isolated. I never left my bedroom like I couldn't I went from running six miles a day surfing twice a day doing yoga every night just laying here right and I was pretty much isolated from the world I remember going to just a USA team dinner and that was the first time it was pretty crazy because everyone started talking about Instagram and I had never heard of Instagram I didn't even have an iPhone at that time right and all these kids had the iPhone, and they were all sitting at dinner on their iPhones on Instagram. And I was like, what is that? They're like, an iPhone? And I was what's like, an what's iPhone? That? I was like, what's an iPhone? And they're like, I'm like, what's Instagram? They're like, you don't have Instagram? Like, looking at me like I'm crazy. And it was so weird how, like, the Instagram and iPhone took off. And I had no idea what any of that was because I was in my bedroom for so long so isolated from everything and yeah I was, that was yeah, like I was, that was one of my questions too that I, I added from when we first talked was you had this period of isolation and in the world of like social media and being connected to everyone it was like I'm sure that made it even harder like knowing like that the FOMO like fear of missing out like that must have been driving you crazy yeah watching watching contests online and knowing I couldn't be there drove me absolutely crazy i would cry it was like the worst thing but then i felt like i had to at least listen to the contest i was like dad just let me listen i just want to listen to the heat i just i like still wanted to be involved but it killed me and yeah so i that dark beast depression started to really hit after eight months and i pretty much became a different person i ended up also like physically like I broke out in cystic acne and I started losing I lost like 60 70 percent of my hair it was just falling out what just because you weren't happy I mean, no when your brain controls it has you know those glands that secrete hormones and um basically because my brain was injured my adrenals and everything my hormones got really affected so I started breaking out and my hair just started falling out and just my I went from tan to white my hair went from bleached blonde to dark brown and it was just like that's crazy I just remember and I couldn't sleep my sleep patterns were I'd stay up till 4 a.m. because I would couldn't sleep 
like my, it was all over the place. And I just remember counting down the minutes, waiting till I could fall asleep. So my misery, like, so I could just sleep and not be miserable for a second. So how did you deal with this depression? Um, like, how did you eventually get over? I know in some of the articles that I've written about you, you worked with um, psychiatrists. And I know for myself, I work with a, a sports psychologist after my injury because I really struggled with not being able to play football anymore and stuff like that. So is that when things started to, to turn around? or? No. I So I saw a sports psychologist, and I couldn't relate to her. She rode horses and she had had a concussion, but when I was talking to her, I just couldn't relate. Right, and that's important. Yeah, when you have, yeah. Yeah, it was really important. Like, it's one thing when you have a concussion and then to have a concussion and be an athlete, you're just going to keep trying as hard as you can to turn back to your sport. So that was like all at that point in time, I just wanted to talk to someone who was an athlete who understood what I was going through. Right. It's like. I could talk to my family members, I could talk to my friends, and they could always have, they always had love and compassion and tried to understand, but they, I would get so frustrated because I was like, until you've had a concussion, like, you guys don't understand, and I would get so frustrated, and um, it, I had a fellow surf friend who had reached out to me, um, a big wave surfer who had read one of my first stories that came out on Jetty Girl. It was an online surf magazine, and he wrote me and um, gave me a lot of, like, words of encouragement and wisdom, and he had also had concussions. And a lot of the things that he actually said for the first time um, kind of, like, s sunk in and made me realize, whoa, he's had concussions too. I could really relate to him. He was probably the first person I could relate to at that time because I didn't really heard of any other surfers having concussions right so he had said a few things to me that honestly really helped me get through my accident was it was it more so just knowing that you know it's normal to feel the feel the way you feel and like just having someone believe you what was was that was the helpful part yeah that was it someone had had a concussion they understood and um, they were also you know professional surfer and yeah that that's exactly what it was all right so when did you start to kind of feel better um like what helped your symptoms what aggravated your symptoms further and um i don't know if we should get into this yet but i know you're big into nutrition and you you changed up your nutrition and that seemed to really help your your progress so there's basically four years of trial and error so i pretty much there's four years. Four years. And two and a half of those years in bed. Jeez. And so there's a huge like time frame, and this year will mark August twentieth of two thousand eleven. Will be my fifth anniversary. So this full year has been the first year I've been back surfing. So during those four years, I had tried to surf a few times, and I'd be surfing for a month, and then I'd be back in bed for four months. So it's like a a long timeline of things that had happened um, during my concussion. And it wasn't until um, two years ago I had I was surfing and my board ended up hitting me in the head. And I got out of the water and for four days I couldn't talk. It was like mama, dada, like super um, 
basic words and I couldn't hold a conversation and I, I slept all th those four days in bed and I slept it off. And Did you still have the, like some of your symptoms when you got hit in the head again? Like when you went out to like, what, when, what made you decide to, I'm going to start surfing again? Did you? So I was surfing in those four, those four years down. I had, I was surfing for maybe a couple days or whether it was a couple weeks Okay, like so it was like on and off, yeah. It was on and off, yeah. So up until this year. So after that last concussion, um, during that time I kept – the problem was I kept surfing, trying to surf at least. And after those eight months of not surfing, I kept trying to like get back out there. And what I didn't know I was doing is I was suffering like little concussions. Right. So I never got out of my – like I never healed from my first concussion. I just kept reconcussing, reconcussing, reconcussing just slapping the water and the turbulence of the water was enough to keep rattling my brain. So basically in those years I kept getting worse and worse and my symptoms were getting worse and I made no improvement. And it wasn't until my last like big concussion, um, two years ago where I had hit my head that I ended up back in the hospital and I had two ER doctors come in my room. They're like, Harley, you've been in here way too many times. The next time you, are in here, you're going to end up with a brain bleed and you're going to die. You need to stop doing what you're doing. And that day, I, something clicked in my head and I was like, you know what? I can't keep doing this. It's been four years and I right. haven't been back in the water f for longer than a month. So I decided to actually listen to one of my neurologists and I stayed out of the ocean. I was like, you know what? I'm going to try it. I'm going to stay out of the water for a year. I wasn't in school that year. I didn't have a job. I just rested for a whole year and because of that I made all I made all these improvements and fully started recovering and now I've been surfing for a year and I've gone back to school and all this stuff but awesome so really being patient with it is what helped the most right so so during so your schooling so you this was your initial concussion was your junior year you said of high school yeah, right. So in August and then, yeah, September, the school season started. So how were you able to make up your um, your coursework? So I was in charter school at the time. It's like independent study. And my teachers, I ended up qualifying for this special program. I think it was called Option 2. Okay. So I didn't go to school for the first junior year. And then that summer, I started doing like an hour a day with the private tutor that the school provided for me. And I basically, they wiped out all my coursework and it was just tests that I had to pass. Okay. So I did summer school and, um, I worked with these teachers when I was able to go in and I felt well enough. It sometimes was only, I was only able to do 15 minutes. Sometimes it was 20. So do you feel like you like missed out on your high school experience at all or because of the injury? Like, how close were you with like high school friends and stuff like that? Well, I, I had been in charter school since seventh grade and I had contests every single weekend. So I never really had that typical normal, like high school right. or middle school. So like your friends group was more so like in surfing. My friendships all were in surfing okay. and traveling. All my friends were people from, I met around the world and always right. people that were older than me. I never really had friends in school because I couldn't keep a friend. I had contests every weekend, and I was constantly traveling, and I didn't have time to hang out with friends after school. I mean, I was surfing. It was like, do your schoolwork, surf, train, surf, and 
Yeah, so um, before my accident, when I was like 13, 14, 15, I remember like going to contests and there being school dances or parties and I was never able to go. And I'd always think in the back of my mind, like, am I missing out, like not being able to go to these things? And then I'd like, then after I was 16, after my accident, I remember going to my first party um, that year and I went and I was like, I said to myself, I was like, wow, this is what I thought I was missing out on. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, shoot, like I would trade anything to have my old life back. Right. Like, I always thought I was missing out on these things, but what I didn't realize is my childhood and what I was living before nothing compared. It was in my opinion, way better than school dances and high school parties <laughs> awesome well at least you don't yeah you don't re- regret it and you got that experience to kind of prove that you were you were still good um so did you finish all your coursework yet or is it something you're still chipping away at no i finished all my coursework on time i i gave a speech to um, my charter school the president and everything of why i deserve to graduate and because i was always a 4.0 student and my teachers knew how hard i worked they made an exception. I was able to graduate with my class on time. Oh, and cool. In the ceremony. That's awesome. Yeah. See, hard work does pay off. You know, they, they uh, cut you some slack when you were going through a hard time. Yeah. Um, my teacher was, I got really lucky. I just had a teacher who really cared, genu- genuinely cared. And they worked with me and did as much as they could to let me graduate. Cool. I'm going to give her, him or her a shout out on the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Miss Daniels. <laughs> nice, Miss Daniels, killing it. Um, okay, so did you have a, a good su- support system that helped you get through this time? Like, you seem like you're very close to your father and and your mom. Um, did they help you kind of get through this, or? Yeah, so it was pretty much my family. Um, my grandparents would come out, came out and took care of me for a few b- weeks, and they literally laid by my bedside all day, every day for like three weeks and played board games and cards with me, and they really helped me a lot. And my dad, um, he did as much as he could. He had to work, and he was a single dad, but he was always home and always there for me. But my ex-boyfriend who... He really helped me, um, actually. I, I honestly thank him because if it wasn't for him, I probably wouldn't have stayed out of the ocean for a year and stopped surfing. And I probably wouldn't be here today, honestly. Was uh, was he, he a surfer also? He was, yes. So he told you that it wasn't a good idea and you should start looking after yourself for a little bit? Kind of, yeah. It was mostly he was there emotionally for me and like he was pretty much my support system at the time. And um, he kind of was that voice that kind of helped me stay out of the water and reminded me, like, no, you can do it. You can make it through the year without surfing. Like, Cool. That's good that you had that. Um, so what overall did you kind of um, learn from this experience? Patience and acceptance. <laughs> so what about the acceptance part? So is it because you talk about that in your in your book and a lot about it in your articles that, that were written about you. So did you like, I feel like you almost like hated yourself for getting the injury or maybe that you couldn't control it. Like how, what do you mean by acceptance? So for four years I was always like, why me? Why did this happen to me? Like why did good things happen to 
or why do bad things happen to good people? Yeah, I, I mean, I thought the same thing with with my injury too. That was like my initial thing. I'm like, oh, I work hard. Like, you know, plenty of guys like don't work as hard as me. Like, I didn't deserve this either. So I I know the feeling. Yeah, and I kept saying like, yeah, I just kept saying why me, why me, and then it was up until I started getting these articles in these magazines that girls and parents and teachers from around the world started sharing their stories and experiences with me and I that honestly gave me a whole new outlook I was able to help others and I realized like in order to get better I needed to accept the fact that I can't go back in time and change what happened to me that day right and I can't sit here and be like why me why me why did this have to happen I had to change my outlook on everything and realize okay things happen that's life you can't control it and there's always two ways of looking at any situation you can feel sorry for yourself and mope around and be negative and keep attracting that or you can realize you know what this happened how can I turn this negative situation into something positive and make something good of it and when I started to accept things and think positively that's when everything started changing around me Cool. So what was the what was the trigger for this? This like change in in mindset? It was You just like woke up one day and you're like, "You know yeah, what?" I honestly woke up one day and I was like, "You know what? I can't keep I can't I can't live like this anymore." Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a great message. That's the exact message that like the reason why I started this podcast was for to, you know, hear that from uh, an athlete like you so other athletes going through you know similar times can know like you know yeah you can't control what happens to you but you can always control your response and then it was the feedback I was getting like one mom told me she wrote me and she was like honestly I, you're the reason why my daughter didn't kill herself like you helped her through her accident and hearing things like that just that was just knowing I could save a life or be there for someone and that was the turning point for me. That's awesome, yeah, that you're you're helping people and, and changing people's lives. Um, I think I read it in in one of the articles that you didn't, wasn't there a time where you you wanted to kill yourself as well, or you you tried, or it was a cry for help you called it. Yeah, there was one point in time where I was like, I I can't do this anymore. Like I can't. I had been in my room for so many months. I had gone crazy. I mean, I was playing double solitaire by myself, pretending to pee, pretending to be two different people. I was <laughs> Did so... you have conversations with yourself too? Not really. Not that I can remember. <laughs> I was <anyway>. just kidding. <laughs> I probably had, yeah, I don't know. I was going crazy, and I remember trying to think of ways to where I could kill myself. Like that, I was like, okay, I don't want to shoot myself. I don't think I could pull the trigger. I was just trying to think of different ways where that would be peaceful. I was like drowning. Like wh what What way could I kill myself? Take a whole bottle of Advil is what came into my mind. And I remember like I was just at such – I had never been at such a low point. I was always so happy. I was just like I had gotten to the point of being so isolated and alone and not knowing when I would get better. And I was like I just can't – I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to live not knowing and um that's when I like locked myself in my room and um my dad I had barricaded myself in my room and I had a whole bottle of Advil and I was like you know what I think I should take this 
and I like started taking little by little and then my dad like knocked on my door and like busted my door down and I don't yeah that was that was my little your your low point yeah my low point but I think it's it's a still a good message that you can if if you're feeling that way now like you're not always going to feel like that you know like just like you said, like you, you, you can't control what happens to you. You can control your, your mindset about how you're going to react to, you know, whatever life threw at you. Um, all right, let's talk about, you know, kind of how the, the role that nutrition played in your recovery. Cause at least based off what I read, it seems like it's a big part of your recovery and a big part of kind of like who you are now. So, um, like what kind of foods did you cut out and like what kind, what are the things do you recommend to athletes who might be who might have suffered a concussion or are going through these post concussion symptoms or any or maybe any athlete just going through any type of injury like what kind of healing foods are are appropriate so my big thing well it started off with having the migraines i'd get migraines for 15 days at a time and i would get the nausea so i started looking into foods that triggered migraines and I had always been super healthy I never ate junk food I always ate super clean I started juicing when I was 12 years old and I've always had you know a love for cooking and um, nutrition and I've since my accident all I do is study nutrition and foods and what could help the brain and at that point in time I stopped consuming anything processed no sugar Um, you know I started looking at consuming a lot of avocado and fish, wild fish, coconut oils, flax seeds, raw almonds, a lot of leafy greens. And um, I stayed away from any, like, any oils, like sunflower, canola. Um, I didn't consume. I've been messing with my diet a lot in the past few years and trying to just figure out what works for me. But caffeine too when you have a concussion like you should not be consuming stay away from it yep yeah and i love coffee and i i gave up coffee for like a year it was really hard what about decaf (laughs) coffee yeah no alcoholic beverages i never drank um and now i've been reading up about adaptogens and researching that and so now I've been consuming um, and coming up with new recipes that I will be sharing on my blog in a few weeks and making some new videos. Yeah, we're going to link all this up on the show notes so people can find you and find the recipes and find all that stuff. Yeah, I wrote a blog post too about, you know, avoiding processed food, sugar, caffeine, gluten, alcohol, soda, hydrogenated oils, fried foods, and what I consumed and how do you stay so um, dedicated to this diet? You know, a lot of people probably have some pressures to, you know, maybe drink alcohol if they have to go to a party or um, if they go to fast food. Like, it's hard to avoid these types of things. Like, how do you stay so determined? Um, is it be- out of desperation or? I stayed so committed because I knew in the end of the day all I wanted to do was serve. So I wanted to do anything I could do to love my brain and love my body and take care of myself to get me back to doing what I love to do. And I knew that if I, um, if I had drank or done any of that, I was just going to feel worse. Exactly. Yeah. I was just going to harm my, my body and my brain. So I, I had so much love for surfing and that's what got me through my days. And 
anytime I wanted to do anything, I was like, no, like I want to surf more than anything. So nothing else was really worth it. Even eating foods that are not good for you. I, I wanted to feel as good as I could feel, even if, um, that day, all I had was a migraine and no nausea. Right. That's like something big for me. I was like, okay, at least I only had nausea all day and no migraine, or at least I only had the migraine today. So, right. I think that that's a good message for an, either an injured athlete or a non-injured athlete. Like you should make every decision, you know, you know, like, is this going to make me better at my sport or is this going to make me better as a person or better as, you know, in better health or is this going to make me worse? You know? And if you can answer yes or no, either way, I think you'll, you'll lead a, a pretty good, um, life or athletic career. Um, so when did you decide to write, uh, the heads up book? So I had a lot of downtime and during that time I would babysit when I felt, you know, good enough. So I would babysit and during that time I'd read, you know, children's books to the kids I'd nanny for and every book I read I was like, oh, this sucks. <laughs> like the dog ate the cat. Like I don't know, just like random stuff and right. not the books I was reading every really carried an important message and so I had an idea. I was like, well, these books are so simple. I'm like, I can do that. I'm like, I can write a children's book. <laughs> right. Yeah, I've read and enough of them. <laughs> it was pretty much familiar. Yeah, I had read so many children's books. It was super, I had picked the age group four and up because at that time I wasn't in any condition to write a novel or anything like that. So I started writing Heads Up and it was about two characters, Finn and Reef and Finn hits his head and goes headfirst into the sand. So it was his struggle through injury recovery and learning to keep a positive outlook in the face of adversity. And anyway, so I wrote this book on paper and it sat in my closet for like two years. Oh, wow. And I never did anything with it up until last year. Um, I had gone through a really gnarly, not, I had gone through an emotional, like just a breakup and that's when I was like, okay, I need to, that's when I had started surfing again. And that's when I got the book out of my closet. And, and I was like, I need to do something with this. And I went over to my mom's and my mom's an artist and she helped um, me develop the characters and did the illustrations. And so she fixed my writing and um, we started working together. And once I had like a rough draft, I went online and I found an illustrator to put the book together for me through um, local colleges and then I hired this lady Karen it's funny because yeah she I went to meet her and I was like oh I'm gonna get some like 23 year old that's in college and right. I remember her calling me and she's like yeah I'll be there at five o'clock and I was sitting I was like I don't see her anywhere <laughs> and I'm like kind of like looking for you know some young girl and I see this older lady in her like 60s and with gray hair and a cute little cat shirt. <laughs> I was like, I interviewed her and then I was like, you know what? I have a good feeling about you. I like you. I liked her energy. And that's when I hired her and we started working together over like a four month period and we finished the book and then I published, I raised a Kickstarter and I published it in January. Cool. It's, it's an awesome book. I, I appreciate you. You send it to me. Um, I think it's a it's great to start kind of the message of concussion awareness early and not just in surfing, but, you know, really for any sport. I think surfing is kind of like a, a cool, 
you know, kind of storytelling type of sport to, to talk about in your book. Um, I like how you use eggshells and like kind of educate about concussions and what a concussion is. It's, it's, it's really good. I, I really enjoyed it. Thank you. So what health and safety measures are taken in surfing? Like in terms of, like we said that they don't really have paramedics or athletic trainers like at the events. So do they do like any kind of safety checklist or physical I mean, or? They didn't uh, in NSSA and it's basically, I was doing junior competitions because I was so young. So they didn't, they had lifeguards on the beach, but the women's world tour, those kind of contests. Now they have paramedics and people on staff. Um, like that. Yeah, the, the, the emergency management care people. Yeah. All right, so we're kind of starting to wrap it up here. Um, so, what advice would you give to someone dealing with post-concussion syndrome like you did? And honestly, I've never heard of anyone who suffered from it as severely as you have. And I heard of a lot of post-concussion symptom stories and people who still suffer from it. I don't know if you ever heard of the Knockout Project, but. Um, I've had a couple of, I know, Jay Fra uh, Fraga, he's the one who, who founded the, the blog and is really dedicated to post-concussion syndrome. And he, he's been dealing with, you know, PCS for years. Um, but you should definitely check it out if you, if you haven't. I'll link that up in the show notes too for anyone who might be going through that. But it's basically just all athletes telling stories of post-concussion uh, syndrome. Yeah, well, after making four years of mistakes, <laughs> I've... You come to the conclusion that you should never return back to activity until all your symptoms reside. Patience. Got it. That's a good, good, uh, yeah. good message, even especially if, what? Even if you're still having any symptoms, like most likely not ready to re return back to activity, but I don't think not doing anything is good either. I think it's good to, you know, start slow. Like I wasn't even able to walk to my kitchen and I started making little improvements right. and, I started trying to walk around the block and that would usually be all I could do that day or swimming was a really good rehab for me because it allowed me, to, I just love being in any the form water, of water yeah. and it felt good on my body. So I started off not even being able to do one lap in the pool and I ended up working up to a hundred laps. And so it's about, you know, getting, doing little bits of activity and testing out your symptoms. And once you're able to do get your heart rate up and not experience those symptoms, I think you're, you know, in the clear. So you, nice. Yeah. And I, I think that's more how doctors approach concussions today. Like they don't say go sit in a room for, you know, months on end until you, you feel better. I think now they kind of say, all right, we need to start, start you on the, the stationary bicycle or then we'll start on the treadmill and you kind of like ease yourself back into, you know, the, the sport that, that you came from. Yeah, but the most important thing is so many people um, go back to their activity or their sport too soon, and that's when they, you know, have that brain bleed. And, I mean, either... Just like me, yep. <laughs> yeah, either you're lucky and make it through, and some people aren't as fortunate. So looking back, do you think uh, any of this happened for a reason? It's funny because... Everyone used to tell me everything happens for a reason. Everything yeah, and you're like, F you. No, it doesn't. <laughs> exactly. I'd get so angry. And now looking back, I'm like, you know what? Things happen. And, you know, I think 
I can make something of this and you have with the book and just sharing your story and I think there's just so much more I can do though like it's starting I've had almost a hundred emails of other people sharing their stories with me that I've been able to help and I just want to reach out to as many people as I can and be there for anyone else suffering from a concussion and I feel like things you know happen in my life isn't going down the path of a professional surfer now and I have a different path and um but you sound like you're okay with that and yeah I've accepted it I feel like sometimes things might happen for a reason maybe (laughs) (laughs) yeah you're starting to believe that phrase and I I agree I felt the same exact way that that you did initially we were like yeah things happen for a reason like what the hell are you talking about this sucks but you know as time goes on you do realize like the impact that you can make outside of your sport and it it sucks for you that you were so close to your your dream and you know it didn't quite work out as you had pictured it happening but you're you're making a, a big impact on the world and i just hope you 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 realize that so all right last three questions that we're we're gonna go with so what three things are you most grateful for right now um my family surfing <laughs> Um, my family surfing and um, your dog that doesn't shut up. No, (laughs) yeah, just being here, breathing the air. Awesome. (laughs) The earth provides. Yeah, my family surfing the ocean. Um, what's your personal definition of perseverance? You can make like a uh. A surfing analogy if if that's easier perseverance um no matter how hard things may be just always have hope and never give up even if it's hard um it's your effort and strength that will get you through it awesome okay i added this one to the last time we talked to and i got this from another podcast i listened to uh lewis howe's school of greatness and you guys should go check it out if you like this podcast. So if you had to tattoo one word or phrase on your forehead backwards, so you had to look at it in the mirror every single day, um, what would that be? You can't live a positive life with a negative mind. All right. I like that. And plus it's on your mind. So perfect. Well, thank you very much, Harley, for taking an hour out of your time to to talk with me and to share your story on the podcast. I know you're going to continue to inspire more and more people all over the world. Um, and definitely go over to headsandtails.org backslash podcast where you could find detailed show notes on this episode and also links to Harley's articles. And um, it'll also feature Harley's story and her book, uh, uh, Heads Up. So thank you very much, Harley. And thank you, Kevin. No problem. <laughs>